Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. The guests remain the same. The conversation will be epic. To my virtual right, Executive Director of Data Strategy, Beth Rolfs. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And to my virtual left, Project Director, all-around awesome person, Amanda Davis. Welcome back, Amanda Davis. Morning, guys. Let's get into it. Four stories that are going to be interesting and hard-hitting and one that will be, you know, slightly nice. Um, So what we've got, uh, our first two things are about Facebook, because what would this podcast be without Facebook? And then our third and fourth things are about platform updates. And then finally, we're going to end with a good story about representation. Leading off, Beth will tell us a bit about Facebook launching voting information. Amanda will talk a little bit about Facebook closing political activist group loopholes. Beth will then tell us about how Facebook merged Instagram and Messenger chats. Amanda will tell us a bit about Twitter rolling out tweet reply controls to all users. And then I'll bring us home with Pinterest expanding skin tone search qualifiers. Very exciting stuff. And with the first thing, lead us off, Beth, Facebook launching voting information. Great. So Facebook is launching voting information. Um, They are trying to not have a repeat of the 2016 election where Facebook really was kind of a spreader of misinformation. Um, And I personally really appreciate that. Uh, So what they're doing is they're launching a voting information hub that will centralize election resources for U.S. users and hopefully keep some of that misinformation epidemic from happening in 2020. Um, and so this hub will show up in the menu bar on Facebook and you can click into it. They're also extending the labels that we talked about last week to include, um, a verified election resource, uh, on post by political figures. So what's interesting about this is that that label, uh, will be attached to all verified U.S. election information, but does cannot, if I'm understanding this correctly, um, it won't be attached to personal pages belonging to state and local election officials. So this means that any verified political account will have that um, official thing, but we can't get any sort of people who are involved in the election process won't have a verified tag, uh, which I think is good. It kind of keeps out some of that personal um, opinion from being seen as verified in actual official information. Uh, you know, there's this is coming off the back of other social platforms doing similar um, and putting forth similar efforts. So we can say what we want about Facebook, but I think it's it's really good that they're taking a stand and understanding kind of the role that they play in, if they weren't super aware, in the 2016 election. Um, the other thing that is really interesting is this idea of with, you know, a very possible delay in election results with mail-in voting, 
they're really poised to kind of be the rumor mill in a place for conspiracies and misinformation at kind of a different magnitude on election night. So they're very aware of that. Um, and they actually met with a group of social platforms. So Facebook, Google, Reddit, Twitter, Microsoft, Pinterest, Verizon Media, LinkedIn, and Wikimedia Foundation all met to kind of discuss their efforts ahead of the U.S. election to make sure that their platforms don't become um, kind of corrupt with misinformation. So very interesting. I would love to hear what you guys think about this. There has never been a more important time in our country's history to vote. Uh, I think, you know, at the time of this recording, we are 75% through the Democratic National Convention. And what we are hearing is how much is truly at stake for an event, uh, for an election like this. So, you know, I don't often give Facebook its, its due, but I think creating a, a place where people can get voting information and understand how they can do their part. It's one thing to constantly tell people to vote. It's another thing to give them the tools that they need in order to uh, do this. So uh, that's my take on it. The one thing that I think is really great is there's also this blast of election updates and information that can come through this portal. So in this very uncertain time of how is this election going to work and mail-in voting, Facebook will be able to, based on where you live, get you the right information. I think it's really interesting what um, the feature does too, which it kind of separates the celebrity of a politician from the actual information about what they stand for and what their policies are. So I think decoupling like that, um, you know, official seal or stamp next to a, a politician's name and a politician I'm putting air quotes on because, you know, where does that line fall between, you know, a local politician or, a, um, you know, a community leader or whatever that may be. So I think, you know, in Facebook is a place where the gray area between uh, news and personal opinion and, you know, humans versus politicians, all of that is is a little bit to be defined. And I think this is a step towards kind of decoupling those two um, so that you get information versus just, you know, hearsay. Yeah, the one thing on that is there is some criticism that this is a light touch to uh, rein in political opinion that could be hateful and not have to really take a firm stance on that. So but I agree with you. I think it's the right. Oh, move. Beth. Now, Sorry. now you're going to give us that little bit of. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, talking about influence on the political scene is our second thing here about how Facebook closed political activist group loophole. So, Amanda, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So obviously, Facebook's gearing up for the presidential election in the next couple of months. Um, and what their most recent move was, was to close a loophole that a lot of organizations were using. That essentially lets any company um, act as a news outlet on their platform, meaning that they can essentially run ads without the paid for by disclaimer that's generally added to political ads on the platform. Um, it, it seems like I think it was something like 1200 um, instances of this loophole being used to get around these uh, rules that Facebook has laid out for its political advertisers. There's been 1200 instances of them, you know, using that. So. This is obviously exciting. I'm I'm curious to see how many other um, less formal 
advertisements and to what we were just discussing, you know, news articles versus opinion are, are working around Facebook's attempts at <laughs> flagging those issues. Um, this seems like it was a, a, a smaller problem, but an important problem. Um, so I, I'm hoping that this is basically one of many, many steps to get to the point where all everything that you're seeing on Facebook is truly reviewed and regulated to where it needs to be. I uh, it's a it's a nice step. I, I still think and and if you follow uh, as controversial as, as it is now, Sleeping Giants, you're starting to see that. Facebook has done some things well and other things not so well. There's still a ton of uh, hate speech on the channel. And I think, you know, as we talked about in the earlier part of this, uh, sometimes I feel like these actions are designed to be like the look over here kind of thing, um, which is very frustrating and interesting. Um, you know, I think they're trying. It's a, it's a big country. And there's and it's a and it's a massive company and it's a hard thing to regulate. Uh, Beth, what do you think? I'm with you, Kenny. I think, uh, you know, I would love to just sit down and get Mark Zuckerberg a little bit drunk and ask what what he's thinking when he makes all these choices, if I'm being honest. Um, That sounds like a nightmare, by the way. (laughs) I just think that. uh, There isn't a super firm stance on this that could be stronger. But I also understand that there are a lot of opinions in this country. And as a business person that serves the whole country, not wanting to play a little devil's advocate, not wanting to silence voices when that was kind of the role of the platform is everyone deserves to have a voice and an opinion. Um, But, you know, it doesn't line up with my values. So. And I find this one particularly interesting because really the the specific tactic is making sure that when, you know, an organization broadcasts an opinion, people don't think that it's factual news. On the other side of the coin, if you're scrolling Facebook, it's I know we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, but it's it is a lot of the user and the audience's responsibility to make sure that when they're reading an article, they are using their own layer of um, cognitive thinking to understand if something is fact or something is an opinion. So, you know, there is a world in which if everything feels very regulated, which Facebook is trying to do, I think we all agree, like, to what degree is TBD. But if the common Facebook user that maybe isn't up to date with a lot of these feature updates and function changes feels like the the platform is getting more secure and more trustworthy, it kind of creates that problem even deeper because you're creating a false sense of of, of security that is not being supported by the actual um platform itself. So I'm a little worried and I hope that it it continues iteratively to get a lot more um, under control. Well, as one would expect from a deep conversation about the impact of Facebook on our elections and our political discourse to some really critical platform updates. So Beth, tell us a little bit about how Facebook merged Instagram and Messenger chats. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I sort of hate this. Um, Facebook is merging or they're doing a test run of merging Instagram and Messenger. Um, I think the goal is to have this sort of end to end uh, encrypted 
messaging system that would include um, Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp. And the interesting part of this is if you were on, say, Instagram, but not Facebook, through this message, this combined messaging feature, you would be able to talk to Facebook users, even if you didn't have a Facebook account. So the goal here is really for Facebook to be able to truly compete with iMessage by taking all of its different platforms and creating this Wi-Fi driven messaging system. Uh, I mean, like, what does this mean for brands? Are brands using this? Is, is this something that has, is this more of a, this works for users, but it doesn't really matter to brands kind of thing? See, I think it could matter for brands though, because if you think about some of the cool messenger um, bot chat bots that brands have brought up, if that could be available across all platforms without having to reconfigure the back end of that, that could be a good opportunity for brands and a way for brands to reach people across all three of these platforms without having that presence. I almost feel like it's a better opportunity for audiences. I don't know about you guys. And I feel like we talk about a new messaging app or program all of the time. And no one's asking for this. <laughs> no one needs consistency across these platforms. We have iMessage. We have email. We have Gchat. We have Instagram DMs. Like I, I, I understand the, the want and the craving to consolidate. But at the same time, I don't know that that creates a back and forth communication tool that users are really going to use and tap into and change their existing behavior um, unless it is incredibly intuitive and somehow easier than our life is right now to message people, which is, is pretty darn easy. So I think for brands, it is a great way to have the one to one communication um, across all these platforms. But again, just like the last uh, topic. The downside of that is, does it just become a little bit of a spam, a spam place for things to live that, you know, aren't your friends or, you know, things that you don't really care about or get served to through some algorithm. So I, I, I will try it. Um, I don't know. I have an, enough apps that message uh, back and forth. My curiosity, too, is if it's truly encrypted, like um, I use Signal because it's actually encrypted and, you know, there's no data exchange or anything like that. Even if Facebook, I highly doubt Facebook uh, has the, you know, urge to do something incredibly encrypted or non-data driven. Um, if they do, cool. I don't know if anyone's going to believe them or use it. But again, I don't know that that's a need in the market right now based on all of the things that the rest of the companies have to offer. See, I think that this is a conversation ultimately about what it means for messenger bots. And are you going to be able to create messenger bots that live across Instagram? Because that's a new feature that doesn't really exist. So does that change the way we're able to DM users in that space is where I think it gets particularly interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, this could have... I think there's a question of what it means for you as an individual and then what it means for the brand marketers. And when I think about messenger, the thing I think about is bots. And like just general customer service, I remember I had a question about a Glossier product and I couldn't get in touch with them and I wanted to know immediately. So I just DM'd them on Instagram. They have millions of followers. They DM'd me back with like a, a thoughtful response. Like they read it. It was a human writing me back. And I was like, that was awesome. And I bought the thing and it was great. If every brand can have that level of, of personalized customer service, I, I do think that's maybe more of the end game here versus uh, letting users have another platform to talk to each other. <laughs> 
Well, with that, we've talked a lot about the Facebook and Instagram platform. We've actually um, talked about it this entire time. So actually, let's take a little pivot and talk (laughs) about how Twitter rolled out tweet reply controls to all users and why that matters and why it's awesome. Go ahead, Amanda. Lead the charge. All right. You kind of stole my thunder because the news is that Twitter rolled out tweet reply features to all of its users. Um, what that means and the change here is that when you when you post a tweet, instead of it basically being open to the world or closed off to your followers, you can actually post it at whatever cadence that you want, but control who's allowed to respond to you. So it, it seems like a little minor tweak. Um, I'm sure that it, it comes from an urge and an ask from the audience to control a little bit of the conversation that they're having, especially on Twitter, where, you know, tweets can just snowball into other people's feeds constantly. And I'm sure that receives a lot of unwanted replies and, and response. So this is pretty interesting. And I, I do think the timing is, as we've been talking about on this whole podcast, and we will continue to, not um, accidentally right ahead of the election, where there's going to, I'm sure, be a lot of controversial conversation and, and back and forth on the platform about opinions and who you want to hear responses from and who you don't. Um, so it, it does feel like it's a little bit more of a move to make sure that users on Twitter specifically continue to feel comfortable um, voicing their opinion and not creating a, a you know a negative dialogue or, or too much kind of unwanted response, which is if you want to if curse. you want to broadcast, like if you want to broadcast, go broadcast somewhere like broadcast on TV or broadcast, uh, you know, write an op ed in a newspaper. The, the reason why you go on social media, the reason why you use a platform like Twitter is because you're trying to create dialogue. And the notion that the only people who can participate in the dialogue are the people you select is so counterintuitive to the point that it is actually a, a disingenuous approach to what Twitter stands for. So like, I don't get it. And the fact that, and the fact that it's coming before the election makes it even worse. And I was a little upset, too, to that point is I felt like Twitter was kind of the last platform that was not uh, slowly becoming an echo chamber as much as, you know, we talked about Instagram, um, where you could flag certain comments, you know, to be shown first, etc. Like, I, I think that's a very clear concern for social media in general. And I, and I think that this move does put us a little bit closer to maintaining your tight circle of close opinioned people that you already agree with. And Twitter was doing so well at opening and broadening that up. This doesn't uh, feel like an exciting and and kind of helpful move for the platform. I'm over here nodding. I totally agree. Um, I I also think it's interesting when you think about um, culturally, like the idea of Twitter wars and how that's, I think, almost helped the platform and like created some interesting different perspectives, but also some like funny content to kind of like shut that down feels, um, feels wrong for the platform. I'm with you guys. Man, oh man. Everyone is just feels like they, you know, whatever. Everyone just feels like they have to do something. Sometimes you just got to let your channel be your channel. We don't need an update every three days. Come on. And And you don't need to protect us the users from everything. It's just like the word. It's like a mom that won't let her kid outside because she's afraid he's going to get a skinned knee. And it's like, okay, let us get, you know, an opinion that's not our own. Let us, you know, have a conversation that we're not easily comfortable with. Like, I I don't think we we need all this protection just because, you know, there's either a complaint about it or 
you know, there's a worry down the line. I, I, I just would rather it be a little bit more. I miss the experimental nature of social media a bit. Yeah, I agree. Think- so move. Oh, Beth, we've got one more point from Beth. Go ahead. Do it. Land it. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think there is some value in being able to get rid of comments that are like hateful or bullying or something like that, but closing it off to just your selected group. That's a whole different you know, bag of worms. And it doesn't solve the problem. It just right. quiets it. It's, it doesn't, you know, for instance, if someone makes a hateful comment and there's a policy and algorithm that, that kind of can maintain that. Great. That actually solves the problem to just like push it over slightly to the side. It doesn't work. Yep. All right. So we've arrived at our fifth thing. Pinterest expanding skin tone search qualifiers. So this is really awesome. Uh, This is a part of Pinterest's efforts to improve the utility of its uh, recommendation tools and its leveraging what's going on with AR Tryon to give more users a way to shop. And the way that they are doing it is by expanding the skin tones and the range for their AR. So it's making their AR toolkit for Tryons way more inclusive. Um, so you can have, you know, it doesn't matter what tone your skin has, this is going to start to work for you. I love it. It is inclusive. Um, it is saying we didn't have it right originally, but we are getting it right now, which I think is awesome. Uh, and it, it's a really nice measure for for Pinterest as a channel, a channel that I think is really underrated and that we don't talk about enough, um, that is intelligent, inclusive, thoughtful, and actually drives business goals. So Amanda and Beth, what do you think about this? I love Pinterest. Um, I agree with you. I think it's such an underrated platform. And I I think what they've done with the ability to search for content by skin tone and with their ARs, impressive. But I have thought to myself in the past, hmm, there are only four shade boxes up here. So I love that they're taking this step. I think, um, to your point, if you don't get it right, doesn't the first time doesn't mean you can't get it right the second time. Uh, and I agree, we should talk about Pinterest more on this podcast. Let's do it. Amanda, what do you got? I can't help but agree. I think that this is just an obvious, it's, there's no, this is the thing for all, all kind of brands and, and creative going out into the world right now is there's no world in which you don't need to be inclusive. Like there's no risk. There's no, you know, feed negative feedback. Like this is just what everyone needs to be taking a look at what they're putting out into the world, whether it's through a platform feature or otherwise, and saying, does anyone, you know, see or use this item and do they feel excluded? And there's, there's no risk making sure everyone feels included. So, uh, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. Well, nothing like ending on a no brainer. That is the Five Things Podcast. We have covered five amazing and interesting things. Oh, wait. There is one more thing. We've got one more thing. So we are going to welcome our intrepid, brilliant, bearded producer, Joey Scarillo, to the airwaves to tell us about Wendy's podcast. Sir, this is a podcast. Go ahead. (laughs) Joey, tell us about it. Yeah, so this is a weird one. So Wendy's, whose social media presence is really good, uh, they put out this podcast on all the major podcast platforms and hosted it through Anchor. Um, And the show is called Sir, 
This is a Wendy's podcast, and it's just one episode, and it's called The 444. And basically, it's just a two-minute audio piece promoting their 444 deal through Postmates. But it opens and closes like a real podcast, but it's essentially a two-minute radio ad. Um, so I think this is super weird. I'm going to keep an eye on this feed to see if they come out with any more episodes, if they're doing any more deals. If they use this podcast platform as an interesting way to promote the deals, I'm sure they'll achieve all the listeners and all the um, they'll give out all the deals that they want. But personally, I just I just don't know if it's the most effective use of the space. Uh, typically, podcasts, you know, brands like to engage with their listeners. Um, it's more personal. It's less transactional. If this is just a one-off and they never put another episode out, I have no idea what their strategy was. Um, it's not a branded podcast. You know, based on the the comments on on Apple, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of mixed reviews, but most podcast listeners are very confused and have no idea why this exists. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious what you guys think. Beth, Amanda, Kenny. I am I, I always love uh, what Wendy's does in terms of testing and learning about the platforms that are out there. This to me, if I, if I know the, the crew who works with Wendy's, this is um, this is not a one off. This is an opportunity for them to expand and grow. Um, I, you know, it sounds like an ad right now, but um, our first version of this podcast sounded like a newscast. So I think things always take time to expand and grow and learn. Um, and the crew that works with Wendy's that makes all of their social content is unbelievably talented. So I have to imagine it's a, it is either really irreverent and we don't get it, or it's the beginning of something bigger. So um, the irony of all this, guys, that I thought was really hilarious was on uh, Apple Podcasts. Guess how many stars it has out of five? Four. Four. Four, four, four. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I can't tell if I love it or I hate it. But to Kenny's point, I am curious. And regardless, that's that's a success. We're talking about it. There's now two Wendy's podcasts because we're talking about Wendy's podcast on this podcast. We've talked more about the podcast in this episode than their episode. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are welcome. You can pay us later for that. <laughs> Well, speaking of Wendy's, a shameless gray plug, check out the latest Baconator Pringles Wendy's collabo coming straight out of the walls of Gray Tower. You can see it on the Pringles Twitter feed. It's awesome. With that, we've jabbed and jibbed and jibber jabbed. We've done it all. We've talked about Facebook trying to help with the elections. We've talked about Facebook updates to their platforms, Twitter updates to the platforms, and even Pinterest things that are happening that are kind of interesting. And then we had one more thing where we talked about a podcast more than the podcast talked about itself. But that's okay, because that's what we're here to do. We really hope we see you here next week, because this is where you need to be. With that, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.